Well, good good morning officially, rather than my, my run up. We are we are so glad to have you here with us at at daybreak. Uh, I'm Matt. I am uh, the lead pastor here. We actually work together with a church in Calgary called Renfrew Baptist Church. So when I leave at the end of my message, it's not because I didn't want to say hi to you and I'm trying to get in line for my favorite restaurant. It's because I'm going to, to preach at, at Renfrew. It's a pretty cool relationship that we have where we think we're better together. Uh, you know, summer in Alberta is an interesting time for us. It's interesting for us as individuals, but also for us as a church. This, or maybe last week, uh, was kind of the time where we go, oh, we're halfway through the summer. And maybe some things wrap up, and we kind of take that month off. August, we kind of go, okay, maybe small groups will shut down. Maybe ministries slow right down or shut down. Even our church attendance kind of becomes hit and miss. I know for, for us working in the church, we're always thankful for the summer because it gives us the chance to kind of look back to look forward. Now, I don't want you to take this as a shot, and I don't want you to feel guilty at the start of my message, but my, my hope, and it's something that I'm working on in my own life, is how do we actually start to view summer as a chance to accelerate some things in our life rather than just slow them down? What are some things that we actually need to start to do before we hit the fall and we all know the rush of the fall? Maybe as you reflect on the last six months, maybe you're like me, you hoped that our life was going to get better. Maybe there was multiple categories of that. Maybe you were hoping relationally that your life would be better with family or friends. Maybe your marriage is good, or maybe it's not, and you're hoping that someday it'll be better. Maybe it's from a financial standpoint. You're hoping that soon you could make more money or you could get out of debt. It could be even from a physical standpoint. You want to be healthier in the fall than you were in the winter and spring. Most importantly, maybe it comes to spiritual things. You were hoping that your spiritual walk with Jesus would be stronger in the fall than it was just a few months ago. As I went through all those different categories, how many of you, and you don't need to raise your hand, would say that you hope that one or several of those would be better this fall? See, my hand would be up. I would hope that things would be better for me in the, in the next few months. Because we want to make things right. We want things to get better. Rarely have I ever met anyone who would say that they hoped things would get worse. You don't hear somebody say, I I'm really hoping that I would gain 40 extra unnecessary pounds to drive my blood pressure sky high to put me at a higher risk of heart attack. Nobody says that. I've no never met somebody who said, I really hope that I could blow my emergency fund and add 20000 to 30000 of debt to my family. I I've never come through a year and thought, Michelle and I, my wife... And our marriage is so strong this year, next year I hope it gets decimated. 
No, we're always hoping things would get better. And as we start to look toward the end of the year, we all know September through December moves really fast. And we look to 2024, yes, 2024. How would you finish this statement that's going to come on the screen? This fall, I hope to what? Perhaps you're hoping to pay off student debt or strengthen your marriage. Maybe you're hoping to finally start serving at the church or be stronger spiritually. I want you to finish that statement in your mind. I hope to what? Now here's the interesting thing with hope. Hope in itself changes nothing. Actions do. Hope can be a catalyst for change. But actions are what's going to get us there. I mean, think about it. How many of us have had resolutions in the past and they happened for about two weeks? I know I have. And I'm not talking about hope as a passive wish, but actually an active pursuit. This is what we're going to do. And I don't think there's a better Sunday than the first Sunday in August to actually start to put hope in action. The Bible actually talks about this. This just isn't a self-help talk this morning. This isn't a new New Year's resolution or a motivational message. You see, hope is what gets you up in the morning. We hope for sun. Or maybe we hope for a cooler day. We hope that we're having this for lunch. Some of you hope that Matt is not going to be long. See, God's Word tells us to put hope in action. In 1 Peter, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. Paul is writing to Peter, and he says these powerful words. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Translate that to, we're all there. We're ready. Set your hope, put your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, when you didn't know. See, we're talking about putting hope in action and exercise self-discipline. One version actually says this, self-control. I want to park on that translation that says self-control. This week I, I wrestled with what is discipline, and a pastor in the States, Craig Ruchel, says this, discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. Let that sit in your mind for a second. Discipline is choosing what you want most over what you want now. I want to play softball three days a week now, but what I want most is a relationship with my kids. See, I'm going to choose what I want most over what I want now. I want to go out for lunch five days a week with everybody from the office. But what I want most is to be out from this weight of debt that keeps me awake at night. I'm going to choose what I want most over what I want now. So we're going to spend a few minutes looking at a great character in the Bible called Nehemiah. 
there's three lessons that we actually can propel ourselves as we wrestle through what does it mean to put hope in action. Here's the first one. To put hope in action, you actually have to define the problem. See, we see this in the life of Nehemiah, but let me tell you just a little bit about who he is. Nehemiah was a Jewish man in the service of the Persian king Artaxerxes. He was the cupbearer. And this cupbearer role was very important because he tasted the king's wine to make sure it wasn't filled with poison and it would kill the king. One of those unappreciated jobs. But it was a huge role. He was anxious Uh, Nehemiah to hear about the Jewish people that were returning to the province of Judah because the Jews had been exiled for decades. He had some friends show up and talk to him, and he said this in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 3. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. Now, it's important to to note that the significance of a wall in this time frame, the wall was the greatest source of protection for that city. It was like a security blanket. The, The people that were living there, because there was no wall, were incredibly vulnerable. They were at risk because the enemy could come in and attack them at any time that they wanted to. Try sleeping. You see, Nehemiah just didn't hope things would be better. He defined the problem. See, for some of you, you may be thinking about a problem you've had for a really long time. This was the case for Nehemiah. You see, the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down for nearly 150 years. Nobody was rebuilding them. They walked by them every day. Maybe it's like you I am going to do this spiritually this week. And 52 weeks go by. No doubt you've tried something for years and years and you haven't been successful. As much as you don't want to admit it, perhaps your marriage isn't where it should be. For some of you, you never thought that a substance would have so much control over your life. There's some of you in this room, you need to just reach out for help because of your depression you got to define the problem. Here's the deal. You can't defeat what you do not define. You can't defeat what you don't define. Call it out. Make it clear this is the problem. And then just like one day, uh, sorry, then one day, just like I read in the book of Nehemiah, you turn the page and you rebuild the wall. From this point forward, things are going to be different because back on this page, it was a nation in disgrace, but on this new page, there's a man that stands up by faith to put hope in action. Who knows how long you've been stuck on that page? But by God's power, you suddenly are able to turn that page. You turn the page and you realize that I need to pursue my spouse. You turn the page and you realize that you struggle with looking at inappropriate images and videos, you can't stop. You decide you're going to put filters on every connected online device you have. You turn the page and say for the first time in your life, I'm going to attend church on a regular basis. I'm going to make it a priority for me. 
I'm going to engage with God on a daily basis. This has gone on long enough. I'm on a new page. God, by His power, helps you turn that page. You see, sometimes things can be so bad that they're painful, they're rocky, they're unstable for so long that you think that's the normal. We don't realize that we're in great trouble or we're even in ruins or we're in disgrace. The walls of our life have been broken down. We're vulnerable. We're at risk. Our spiritual enemy can come in at any time and attack us. But be encouraged. It's through our greatest and largest problems that we can show God the greatest glory. So how do you put hope in action? You first define the problem. But you don't just define the problem. Then you do the second thing that Nehemiah did. He diligently seeked God. See, in chapter 1, verse 4, we read 3. It says this, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, and in a different translation, it actually says many days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. There's the reality of great sadness here when you read this verse. Can you see Nehemiah sitting on the ground? He sits down to cry and he kneels to pray the moment he defined the problem that Jerusalem is in great trouble and disgrace. What did he do? He diligently took it to the one who could. See, when you have a vision to do something in your life, you're going to need the God of heaven to help you. Friends, I've experienced this in my life. There's moments in my life where I've had great bitterness towards individuals. And the last thing that I wanted to do was forgive them. Reminds me of an individual in my church that when I was a young pastor looked at me in one board meeting and said, you don't have the credibility to speak. Well, that tape recorder just played and played and played and played. And every so often, guess what? That tape recorder plays today. Now, forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is something that is a gift from God that God gives us the ability to do. What I've realized is forgiveness was giving up the hope of a better past. All this time when I was bitter, I was wishing the past was different and that's not going to change. I have to extend forgiveness. And when I forgave, I experienced freedom. That person, it wasn't for them. Me choosing to forgive was for me. Because when you're bitter, when you're unforgiving, guess what comes out of you? That emulates your character. That affects people around me. Through seeking God diligently, it changed how I thought. The motivations of my heart changed and my actions changed and I was able to forgive. Maybe you've had a similar experience in your life. Maybe it's when you held your firstborn baby girl for the first time and you think to yourself, I want to walk her down the aisle one day. Maybe it's when you get an eviction notice or a late notice and you say enough is enough. 
I refuse to allow this to happen. You're determining that this is the problem. You're seeking God for His help and His power to make the changes in your life. Go back to Nehemiah. He starts to pray. He fasts after hearing the news that the walls of Jerusalem were down. We then see how he spoke to the king to get permission to rebuild the wall and God gave him favor all the way along. It had been easy for Nehemiah to think when he heard the news, man, that's terrible. Yeah, even go on to Facebook back then and write a detailed post complaining about how the walls were broken down and who was going to take care of it. Nehemiah wasn't a mason. He wasn't a builder. Nehemiah was a professional drinker. Literally, that's what his job was. Now, none of you go for that job. Just think, if you were Nehemiah, how much doubt would fill your mind. Man, I just, I just drink the king's wine just to make sure it's okay. See, doubt can always connect with that. Maybe you've thought this, well, I could try, but I'm just going to fail again. I don't have what it takes. I'm not qualified to do it. That's why it's imperative that you diligently seek God because God does not call the equipped. Hear me out. This is so important. God always equips those that He calls. The only way that we know we are called is by diligently seeking Him. Nehemiah diligently sought God and took ownership of the problem so that he could own the solution with God's help. All right, I want you to think about your current habits. What is one thing that you could do today that would put you on the path that God has called and intended you to be on? What is one change that you could make today that would put you on the path that God has called and intended for you? Imagine what you could do for the kingdom if you were physically healthier. Imagine how you could bless and how you could not only honor God by returning the tithe and be generous and give above to offerings if you were financially free. Imagine if your relationship with God was stronger, imagine how much bolder we would be with our witness. When we realize that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength, that is when your life begins to change. So how do we put hope in action? We define the problem. We diligently seek God. And then the third, you got to do the work. You know this. Year after year, January's come and go. We find ourselves in the same place year after year. That's why I don't want you to wait till the end of this year. We need to realize all that God wants to do in every area of our life will be limited by the work that we're unwilling to do. Whatever you think about the problem in your life, you've thought about it before. I mean, let's get honest. You've thought about it before. You know what the problem is. I know what my problems are. We've even come up with solutions on how to solve those things. But you know what? The difference is between good intentions and actually changing is doing the work with God's help. This is where real change happens. 
because we can all join a gym. You can even hire a trainer. But when your alarm goes off at 5 in the morning, you got a decision to make. You turn it off, you roll in, over in bed, you stay in the same rut you've been for years, or that moment you ask God to help you. Because in our weakness, we are always made strong through Him. You roll out of bed, you change your life. You have to declare that this fall will be different. We're not talking about a New Year's resolution that's going to be dead in three weeks. We're talking about putting hope in action, empowered by God to change the trajectory of our life. This fall is going to be different than every other fall before this one. See, Nehemiah did this when he got to Jerusalem. You see, he personally inspected the wall to see the extent of the damage. Then he gathered all the leaders together, the nobles, the priests, the officials. If you have your Bibles, Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17 and 18 gives a great story of this. Then I said to them, Friends, do you see the trouble we're in? Jerusalem lies in ruins for 150 years. You've walked by this gate numerous times. You've seen the wall every day. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, together, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so that we'll no longer be in disgrace. And then I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and, the king, and what the king has said to me. And the team looks at him and goes, let's start. So they began this good work. Now the good news is, you're going to do the work. But the great news is, friends, here at daybreak, you're not going to do it alone. God is with you. His power is there to help you. Others can and should be a part of that process as well. But don't think for a moment that your great work, that your hope in action goes without opposition. You need to anticipate it. You got to expect it. See, Nehemiah experienced this when there was two guys named Senballat and Tobiah. They constantly were ridiculing him. They said things, do you really think you're going to rebuild the wall with stones from a garbage heap? They even said, if a fox was to run across the wall, it would crumble and fall down. I love Nehemiah's resolute, his steadfastness. He replies like this in chapter 6, verse 3. He says this, I am doing a great work and I can't come down. Daybreak. We need to declare that. We are doing a great work and we cannot come down. When you face resistance, you got to shake it off and say, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Because you're going to hear a voice inside of you that will whisper to you that will say, you think you're doing do you really think going to meetings every single week will get you clean you really love how this stuff makes you feel you'll hear that voice say what do you think you're doing if something doesn't go the way you'll want you'll always fly off the handle do you really think you'll be able to control your anger and temper when you struggled with it all your life when you face resistance when you hear that voice 
You need to just shake it off. Matter of fact, right now, I want everyone in the room to say that. We're going to shake it off. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. Shake it off. What was in the past is over. These last six months is over. This fall is going to be different by God's power working in the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead resides in me. You're building this great wall for your life. You can't come down. Remember, we just can't be Christ followers with hope. We need to have hope in action inspired by God by diligently seeking Him and looking for His guidance and help. And as you do the work, you'll become resolute in your determination. In Nehemiah's case, the result stunned and shocked everyone watching. The wall had been in ruins for nearly 150 years. The wall that everyone said would never be rebuilt, friends, was completed in 52 days. God did exceedingly and abundantly beyond what they could imagine or expect. He can do the same for you. See, when you define the problem, when you diligently seek Him, when you do the work, God will turn the page of your life. So friends, what tangible steps do you need to accelerate this summer? Do you need accountability? Do you need a small group? I want you to go back to that statement at the very beginning of your notes or in your mind. This fall, I hope to know that God and we as a church are here with you to help you put hope in action. Imagine years from now someone saying thank you. Thank you for facing your addiction to pornography and allowing God to heal you. You're such a great man or woman of integrity. Thank you for being honest about your substance abuse. Seeing the way that you've become free from that is an inspiration to all of us. And our family is stronger now. Thank you for slowing down and taking time to spend it with me. My life is better because you're the mom and dad I always wanted. So what can we do? We can define the problem. We can seek God. And we can do the work. Because as of today, August 6th, as of this moment, you're on a new page. Let's pray. God, if I said anything that wasn't of you, take it from my friends' minds. If you used me in a small way to encourage my friends, make it about the Holy Spirit that prompts, guides, and leads. You're an awesome God. May our worship be pleasing to you. May you continue to speak to us. We thank you for the gift of being in community and the gift of being your father, of, of, of being your children. We ask all this in your name. Amen.